This is Scott Martin, Assistant Curator with the G. William Jones Film and Video Collection here at SMU, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Worland, Professor in the SMU Meadows Division of Film and Media Arts. Dr. Worland received his MA and PhD from UCLA and joined Southern Methodist University in 1991. He went on to receive the Alger H. Meadows Distinguished Teaching Professor Award for the 1997-1998 school year and has continued to teach a wide variety of film courses over his nearly 30 years at the university, including general film history, documentary and silent cinema studies, and genre studies focusing on westerns, horror and science fiction, film noir, European cinema, and the films of Alfred Hitchcock, just to name a few. He's published dozens of articles in numerous academic journals, including Film and History, Cinema Journal, and the Journal of Popular Film and Television and has authored two books, 2006's The Horror Film, An Introduction, and just last year, Searching for New Frontiers, Hollywood Films of the 1960s. Dr. Worland, good well, morning. Scott, thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> thank you for letting me do this. I would take any excuse to talk to you for half an hour, and well, I'm going to do this. We, we, I recommended you, not only because you were a stellar student in our graduate program, oh, well, and, you. You, and you worked uh, in the Jones uh, Film and Video Collection, and I enjoyed when we did that one-on-one uh, seminar on science fiction that one summer, which was we just sat around and talked and that, that was bits of movies. That was a highlight for me in huh? the master's program. So thank uh, you very much. All right, let's get going. Uh, so let's start in the very beginning. Where'd you grow up? Oh, I'm from a very small town in Missouri called Montgomery City, and it is. I grew up on a farm. Really. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and family farm. And now my sister and I still own it. Uh, it's been in our family since 1879. Oh, my gosh. So I grew up on part of that land, and, and my grandmother and other relatives lived there at the time. And then we lived in a little place, uh, about 33 acres, near near a small town, near right on the border of our small town. So, yeah, very, very small place. So were your, were your folks farmers? Um, my dad was a sort of a part-time farmer. Uh, yeah. He always had other kinds of jobs. He was sold uh, uh, John Deere farm equipment later. He was a salesman. And my mom worked in a bank for years and, and things like that. So it was, you know, it was a... Uh, fairly bucolic uh, <laughs> upbringing back in the good old days of the baby boom era. Yeah, right. So was it? It was a, it was a rural era. Area? Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Oh yes, very much so. Very, okay. Very much so. We had to go about. Uh, I think it's about 30 miles to see a, a traffic light. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, well, we had the one. We did have the one. It was blinking all the time. But yeah. So I guess you're living in this rural area. So how does all of this love for film start for you? Um, Is there something specific or anything you can put your finger on? It's hard to say. I, I think I, I spent a lot of time enjoying movies, especially in sitting up front because I didn't realize I had fairly poor eyesight for, <laughs> for a long time and uh, I was there I could see what was going on so uh, so I always liked movies uh, and I watched a lot of television um, I liked horror films and science fiction and I loved comedy and westerns and all kinds of things really um, television one of my favorite television early television shows and all my tastes are so uh, it's questionable <laughs> uh, was uh, was lost in space oh yeah oh my gosh that was my favorite show I love that of all time and uh, when my again it, it tied in with the post-war era and with the space program right and it was about a kid who had a pet robot and and they parents gave him laser guns and they drove around in, on a chariot and shot aliens and flew through space and i said man i want to be that guy so did that have something to do with like you living in missouri in this tiny kind of like tiny uh farm and wanting to kind of get out and explore i think or, so yeah. i think inevitably that is really that was really part of it and i think later on um 
I, when I got interested more seriously in the in the horror genre, right? Um, that so the whole idea about I was always sort of fascinated by old houses and and sort of creepy places and so on, <laughs> because there was there seemed to be a, a story happening there that wasn't happening in my life, <laughs> right, essentially, yeah. right? And so and so I think that's uh, I think that really is part of uh, why I was interested in those forms because again it really was a kind of escapism escapism yeah. although I certainly wasn't you know tormented and bored all sure, the time I was sure. I was neither of those things actually. So in, in high school did you like write for the school paper? Were you starting to 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 do any, was there a school paper in your high there school? There was, okay. yeah, yeah. We, yeah. This, you remind me when I moved to LA to go to uh, graduate school. Right. People would ask me, "Now, did you did you go to school in Missouri?" <laughs> and, and, and eventually, my answer was <clears throat> yes. And what to what you want to know is yes, we did wear shoes, but only in the winter. <laughs> you know, so, uh, <laughs> so no. What actually, what I did in high school, yeah. uh, was I was in band. Okay. Uh, I, I played trumpet, and I I loved uh, just I, and I wasn't very good, but I loved playing. And I love music, and, yeah. and I really love jazz, oh. which again is completely not a part of the world right. really that I grew up in. It's urban, it's black, right? Um, it, and I always and but it did tie back to old Hollywood because the, you know the old Hollywood studio era was in the the big band swing era, and that's always there's always swing tunes and bands behind a lot of Hollywood movies. Sure. All those Warner Brothers cartoons. Oh yeah, you used to watch those a lot as we all did, and I think that was it all tied together. Interesting. So, so after high school, you went to do your undergraduate where? At the University of Missouri. Okay, so you stayed in Missouri. In Columbia, yeah. Okay. I really did. And I had a great education there. It was a terrific school. It still is. Um, and it was just an eye-opening and great experience for me to be there. I met good friends, but I had great teachers and classes. And I think, honestly, I was thinking about this again not too long ago. I, probably in the four years I was in college, I really only had about one and a half classes that were I felt were totally worthless <laughs> and the re- and, and the half was was a was a guy who was teaching a class on German yeah. cinema and I thought oh well, that's for me so I took that class when I was probably a junior or senior and <laughs> this is a do not do this when teaching the the guy first day said who taught German uh, taught German language and he said the first day well you know I don't really know much about German films and I went Oh, this will be fun. <laughs> but what he did do was show a lot of films. And right. he had a connection to like a German, in those days, the West German cultural ministry. And he kept getting these really interesting 16 millimeter films. So we saw the German expressionist classics and, and other things. And then we saw these really kind of interesting uh, semi-obscure things really uh, made in Germany in the 50s and 60s and uh, so it, it, the, the films were good even though J- he was correct he did not know much about it. <laughs> <laughs> so and you studied political science there I'm like, I did okay. yes I was going to be uh, a lawyer, oh, or, or so I thought. I was on that same track yes, as well. <laughs> well yes. Well, my, and what happened is uh, my daughter is just finishing law school at oh. this point, my oldest daughter. So she's she's living out my parents' living dreams the after they, you know, <laughs> long after they're gone. But, but she's living out their dreams. Uh, and it was really funny. I had a kind of epiphany moment. I remember s- looking at a bulletin board that was full of flyers and, and everything. And... Uh, there was a thing about you could sign up for this law school prep weekend where you right. would go for a, you know, a full weekend or seminars, and they would tell you all about the ins and outs of law school. And I was sitting there looking at that and going, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at that thing. Well, i got to take the – I kept saying to myself, i got to take these 
this literature class and this history class that I really want to take because God, next year it's going to be torts. And <laughs> that's just, that's just, I got to cram in stuff I'm interested in. And I was standing there looking at this thing about the law school and I went, you know what? I don't want to go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was a great moment in so, my life. So you ended up at UCLA yeah, uh, yeah. getting your master's there and your eventually your PhD yes, there. So yeah. what was the what was the pivot to cinema studies? Um, I took this really great class with a professor whose name is Jim Curtis. Um, and I'm still, in, still friends with Jim. He's uh, close to 80 at this point, and uh, he lives in the Philadelphia area. I'm going to see him this weekend. Oh, so nice. He's going to be out there. And uh, he did this really great class on uh, popular culture okay. and it, when that was kind of a new thing in 1979 and it was on uh, popular literature so we read detective novels and hard-boiled detective novels and we talked about um, there was that book that was kind of got a lot of buzz at the time called whatever happened to the class of 65 no, I'm not familiar. Which, well it was a kind of oral history right and it was mainly about this guy 15 years later or so tracing uh, what the, the path that his high school classmates had taken. And it was a really successful book. But it was really about, uh, we saw Rebel Without a Cause and talked about that, cert that certain kind of image of American high school life and things like that. I mean, just that deconstruction of society. And we did things on popular music, um, the history of blues and jazz and oh, rock yeah. and roll was in there. And he's written a couple of books, actually, on rock and roll. Well, he did a recent one on Springsteen. and Oh, and also Bob Dylan. So it was a it was a lot of different things, film and TV and popular music and high school and <laughs> hard boiled detectives and I was like I love this. And so I got all I did was spend my time I did a lot of stuff in political science and history and yeah. literature. I loved all that stuff, but I was always interested in film. Interesting. So you what you get your PhD mm -hmm. and then you start teaching at Well, there's a big ellipsis there. I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Breeze right through that. I know, I know, sequence. I did. Yeah, uh, scratching that off. Uh, what was your thesis? Um, it was a it was a look at uh, t television shows, network TV shows. Okay. In the Vietnam era. Okay. Just when I grew up. Right. When I except I was a child and. Because um, I remember years ago, some the student said to me, well, but weren't you a child of the 60s? And I said, no, I was a child in the 60s. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a whole lot different. <laughs> but um, so it was a look at uh, television shows in relation to the Cold War because what in Vietnam, because again, it's not there. Right. But, but what was there were these in, indirect expressions about the Cold War in, in popular um, spy shows like The Man from Uncle that sure. were derived from James Bond. There was, uh, I love The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, and they did a lot of these social political allegory right. stories. Star Trek. Of course. Um, uh, Star Trek was all about the Cold War and various, well, I mean, is important, an important part of it. Right. Um, and there was also this outpouring of television shows about World War II. Uh, some were those military sitcoms like McHale's Navy and Hogan's Heroes, the infamous one, which was premised uh, on the idea that it was really a lot of fun to be held captive by the Nazis in World War II. Uh, <clears throat> and so I watched all those. But also right. there, were there were dramatic shows as well about World War II. And so there was this, especially from about 19, the Kennedy era through the late 60s, 68 or 69, there was an outpouring of these shows that were, about World War II 
and during a time when Vietnam is dominating the news, dominating American cultural, political life, and it's absent entirely from, inter- from entertainment television. Right. Yeah. So after you graduated, you taught at California State University mm-hmm. for a little bit. Was that film as well? Yes, but that was uh, around the a roundabout thing. There was a course in the political science department. I actually did get back to that. Oh. A course in the political science department that one, one of my UCLA professors, um, Kathy Montgomery, who teaches at American University now, she knew this guy, professor over there, who was teaching this uh, uh, media and politics course. But it was a real hodgepodge. It was like it was called critical analysis of okay. pol- political communication, and I would always tell the students, or was, we like to shorten it to crit anal palcom, <laughs> so it's too long. Too, too long. Uh, so he was teaching this course. It was a basic education course, and they needed people to do it. And so uh, I started. I got a job, and I taught this class. I had some preparation and guidelines, but again, it was a kind of we'd talk about the ideological spectrum, and introduce that, and we would look at Hollywood movies, we would look at TV shows, documentaries, commercials, news broadcasts, Time Magazine, reading you know, the rhetoric right. of Time Magazine. And what was really great about that class, which I taught continuously in one or two or three times a quarter, it's on the quarter system, uh, what was great about that was that I learned how to teach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Did you feel when you started prepared to teach, or was it was it a rocky start, or um, did you kind of come to it naturally? I had been a teaching assistant at UCLA in several classes in the PhD program, right. and there our responsibilities were running a weekly discussion section for 50 minutes and then doing all the grading. Uh, and then we usually got to do one talk in class. And so I had some background, some background right. in it. But yeah, it was a daunting task and I to start off and and I just I it seemed like I took to it pretty quickly cuz I got really good at being organized. That uh, seems key. It, it's very key. <laughs> and then I did it so much. That's the only thing I taught. It was that class. Uh-huh. And so um, I taught it over and over and over again. I was writing my dissertation, which was which was I made some money and and I could practice teaching but it didn't really take away from the from the writing so um so i did that and i and i learned that but at a certain point i got to where i would just oh my gosh i was just like it was like a stand-up comedy set kind of thing it's like i just know where the beats are in every in every (laughs) class and i would go in and i would do the same material and (laughs) all the time and the worst the worst thing that happened one semester was i was actually doing three classes three classes all in the same quarter Right. Of the same thing. And they all met in the same room. <laughs> so I had like no visual cues as to <laughs> whether I said this or not. <laughs> so each day I would I would get all three of my syllabi and put down extensive notes on each one about I talked about this, I didn't cover that here, I did cover that there. And and it was that was the silliest thing I had to do. Yeah. So you you started at California State. You eventually ended up at Meadows at SMU yes. in 1991. Yes. Okay. And so, what was the atm? Was the overall film atmosphere like here um, in the early 90s? I'll, I'll tell you one story though. Before that, sure. I got the job. Um, I got a call for an interview in in 1991 for SMU, which I had totally forgotten. I submitted the application <laughs> and this guy called me is don pasquella who still oh, lives here yeah. in town you know don yeah, yeah. and he called me and <clears throat> said can you come out um 
you know, next week for this job interview. Now, I, was, I, had, one, I had a child. I had one on the – no, I had two children at that point. Oh, wow. My wife was working. Uh, I was losing my job at Cal State <laughs> L.A. only because they were cutting back on budgets. And right. I, and I was an adjunct, and they were I was not going to be able to work. And he said, <clears throat> can you come out next Tuesday uh, uh, and interview? And I said, no, I can't. I'm going to be on a game show next Tuesday. <laughs> so – so, <laughs> so I went on well, the game show. Well, it was on. hosted okay. by Dick Clark. What, I went on the game show. What game I, show was this? It was called, gosh, I think it was called Challengers. Okay. It was kind of an alternative Jeopardy. Oh. It was like knowledge questions it's... with three people and Dick Clark, <laughs> which was fun. And I didn't, and what was great about it yeah. was that unlike Jeopardy, they let you keep the money you won, even if you didn't win the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I cleared a cool $2,000. Nice. Yes, that was nice. My, so I is, told, there, is there footage of this out there? I have an old VHS tape. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That needs to come up Oh, here. yeah, that needs to go in some archive, yeah, exactly. no question. So I did, anyway, so I went to California. Well, at this time, my well, there, I had about a two-year window where I was verging on hipness, or at least so I thought. And I had a ponytail. Oh, nice. Oh, I had a ponytail back in that era. <laughs> and so um, so when I told everybody that I was working with, uh, you know, that I was going to go out to, to Dallas to right. interview for this job, they said, well, you better cut that ponytail. Because <laughs> when you go to, you know, Texas, that may not fly. You may want to get rid of that ponytail. <laughs> So I did. Oh, no. And only won the $2,000 on the game show, so that was not the fortune I really was hoping for. Cut the ponytail. <laughs> so I went. Oh, I stayed over here at the Hotel Lumen in the old version of it. Oh, wow. That yeah. was around? It was around, and yes, and I stayed in a, literally a windowless room. It was very fun. <laughs> it had an interior rooms with no windows. It was a little creepy. So for, anyway, so Don calls me from downstairs. I'm down here. We're going to go to dinner. I said, great. I go downstairs, get in the elevator. The elevator door opens, and there stands Don Pasquello with a long ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, I figured I was probably going to be okay, and then I was. Okay, let's talk a little, if, if we're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit. Um, so you've been here for almost 30 years mm -hmm, now, since mm -hmm. 1991. Yeah. How has how is teaching evolved? How has teaching film studies evolved here for you? Um, I guess my question is, are you doing the same job that you were when you started? Oh, that's, well, that's two questions. That but, is two questions. But they are, they are related. I, my friend and colleague Kevin Heffernan says that this is the time of the last 15, 20 years or so. He said this is the golden age of film studies. <laughs> and what he means by that correctly is that we now have access to so many films and TV shows, right. high-quality archival restorations of all the famous silent films um, <clears throat> from the Germans and the Soviets and Hollywood and France and all these things, and as well as lots and lots of other stuff. So that we're not just talking in our classes. We're, we're able to branch out among, here's the handful of the canonized classics right. to say, here's what's Tip, here's what was typical of the Hollywood studio system, and you can run uh, a, a spectrum of the of of the good films, the in between films. The you can run, you know, there's commercials, and if you can run excerpts from serials and shorts, and that's just talking about the studio period. Just having the access to so much material is a great uh, is a great boon to us. All right. of us. You can go down those like rabbit trails. Yeah. I was kind of thinking yeah. of the uh, alternate westerns course we took mm -hmm. where we were able to, to, to watch things like 
like uh, what was the the Eastern German yes. sons of the Great Bear? Yes, yes the yeah, East yeah, German, yeah. the communist westerns in which the Indians are the are the heroes. Right. And, yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a film professor at Meadows today, uh, and a little bit about uh, the, the overall environment and the faculty? And yeah, I I've really very much enjoyed the time that I've been here uh, in the Meadows School of the Arts uh, and at SMU. There's always been a great deal of freedom to teach the things I want to teach and my colleagues want to teach and how we teach it. Uh, there's a lot of resources. We have access to uh, all kinds of resources uh, that makes it possible for us to do the work we want to do. And <clears throat> I think our film major has gotten film and media arts major has gotten better and better um, over the years and we have always have great students uh, coming into the major now we're getting a steady supply of very good students um, the overall SAT numbers for SMU are going up which is important oh, wow. because what that means that's that's been happening for several years but what's important about that is that I teach a lot of general education courses to the to the to the great unwashed <laughs> essentially uh, to everybody to anybody who will show up essentially right. and um, and those classes now um, you just the students are good the students are always really good and um, you know and even if they start off a little slow they usually can get up to speed more more easily to say than in the past uh, let's get into a little more detailed questions about uh, teaching here. If you had to choose, what's your favorite film to teach? Individual favorite film sure. to teach? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I really like mm, probably something in the horror genre. I really like the original Frankenstein very much. Of course. Uh, I'm doing a basic ed course, I mean a, a, an adult ed course for um, for about 16 people uh from that I was do through the SMU, um, you know, enrichment. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, just do, do, usually do that in the fall. And I'm doing a course on Hitchcock. Okay. And so last night we looked at Strangers on a Train, and I nice. love that film. Um, and still, it's one that never, I never get tired of watching it, and then we're going to talk about it next week. And that's a film I, I really love because it's so rich. It's visually interesting. I love the performances. Kind of encompasses everything. It does. All of your interest. Right, mm -hmm. right. Uh, let's see. Okay, so another one of your focuses is the work of Alfred Hitchcock, like we were just discussing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your personal fascination with him and what you still take from his work today, <laughs> if you would consider a personal fascination? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it is. And uh, it, it's hard for me, in a way, to say where that really began, because I really have no memory of watching any of Hitchcock's movies when I was young, except Psycho and the Birds. Okay. And I uh, used to see those on TV all the time. And maybe that tied back, I, I imagine it did, tie back to the interest in horror and fantasy films. Um, but once I, but I did know the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show. It was always on. And Hitchcock was a kind of larger-than-life figure. He was good throughout his entire career at making himself a star of his own films. He right. was a celebrity in the 1940s when nobody knew or cared who directed movies right. outside of Hollywood. But, but Hitchcock was known as a director. Um, and so the, the more and more uh, I saw Hitchcock's films and read about them and got very interested in them, I took a uh, great course at UCLA with a professor named Steve Mamber, who used to, who was also a big Hitchcock fan, and he he would show all the films, and he would also do the 
some of the selected TV episodes that Hitchcock had actually directed. Uh-huh. And that's a trick I completely pulled out from him, took from him. And uh, I do that a lot. I'll, I'll show those 25-minute Hitchcock Presents. Oh, they're, they're, and they're also great. They're, yeah, many of them. I mean, the best half dozen or so of them are like little short Hitchcock films. Right. Yeah. Like The uh, the Man from Reno. Is that the one? Was, was um, the, uh, the Man from the... What's it called? The Man from the South. The Man from the South. Okay, actually, right, right, yeah, right, right, that, right. That's a fam- with Peter Lorre. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a really famous one. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about your writing. Uh, so what's it like to write a, a, a comprehensive text? <laughs> it's a big question. Yeah. So like your introduction to horror in your 1960s mm. books, how do you even go about, do you, do you have a general idea of, of what you want to canonize and what you don't? Yeah. Or is it, or is it, are you, are you, are you pulling from things? Are you trying to be a blank slate? It, well, that book, the horror book, introduction to the horror film right. really came out of my teaching that class over and over and what i found was although there was really a lot of good writing on the genre and there still is people didn't were not writing the book i wanted to use in a class (laughs) so i wrote it right um and i what i think students need and want uh in addition to more specialized deep dives into certain films and issues is they need a narrative overview and framework about where these things happen historically right and that's that was the genesis of it really is that i wanted to create that kind of a book and at the same time the book is a mixture of uh, historical uh, analysis and research and and close analysis of particular kind of canonized greatest hits right from the 1920s into the into the early 2000s. So with something like your the one that came out last year, your 1960s book, uh, did you find things that you didn't know before? I mean, that that feels to me like ground that you've studied a lot and yeah. that, that has been covered. Did you find something new this time around I, as you were diving deep into I, it? I did because I didn't want to start with just the new Hollywood films that started right. in 1967, the famous stuff with Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, all that's, I mean, I talk about all that in Easy Rider and 2001 The Space Odyssey was one of my favorites. But what I found that was totally new I got interested in were these kind of middle-class romantic comedies that were made in the late 50s and early 60s, and especially that image of the urban bachelor pad, right? Which was uh, there's a there turns out there's a cycle of eight or ten of these uh, uh, of these movies uh, about you know it, it it's a romantic comedy, but it's all about this very reluctant male who's kind of on the make, right? He lives in that in that swanky apartment. Uh, and has this lifestyle, uh, and and it talks a lot about sexual liberation, which for the most part these movies end with a couple getting together and getting of married. Of course, it settles into uh, the heteronormative. Right? Absolutely, is what happens. So so I wrote. Uh, I, the more I started reading about those films, and or just re- not reading that much because there wasn't that much, but I st- started seeing them and making a lot of notes. Uh, there was actually a really good book, a uh, great book by a woman who's a historian named Elizabeth Frederigo, and she wrote this kind of cultural history of playboy magazine okay and i which start playboy started in at the very end of 1953 so it completely ties into this cycle of films it's because playboy actually did these um from time to time they would do these uh imaginary aspirational bachelor pad spaces that they would you know they would diagram and they would talk into the readers in the magazine this was before my time right but they would talk about 
furniture and and stereo equipment and food and it and and you know luxury and and taste and right. refinement but it was all about sex too it was all about using of these course. things <laughs> to get <laughs> to get sex and so that's um that's what these movies are really about in a kind of contradictory and crazy and frequently um jumbled way but th- i thought that was really interesting and that was some that's the early 60s and that really those movies kind of that cycle of movies peaks uh uh in in the kennedy era probably the most famous one of those movies is actually from 1959 which is pillow talk with okay doris day and and rock hudson right uh there's a really good one called boys night out with james I've Gar- never heard of no that. no these are yeah. obscure movies james garner and kim novak there's um um frank sinatra was in um was in a couple of these um and so there's just you know it's just it's this strange little cycle that 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 was all completely new to me it's fascinating uh let's see is there a course you haven't been able to teach that you'd really want to something that's a little more esoteric than I made a stab in the mid '90s uh, at teaching a class on just the silent cinema. Okay, and, and that came after we found that those early the archive found those, oh the Silver Springs yeah those really early rare early films before all before 1907, and I got I did there was a lot of great historical research being done around that time in the late '80s and early '90s, and I absorbed as much of that as I could. So I because I always love silent films, and it really started with those again I think those German expressions classics of the metropolis sure. and caligari and nosferatu and i just wanted to do this class on uh silent cinema and it turned out pretty well uh i had six or eight hardy souls who were <laughs> wanting to take the class and today that was in the mid 90s and today i would have even better luck doing it i think because oh, again you can show these high quality versions and and with musical accompaniment they're shown at the right speed they're sharp and clear and this is, I mean, the strange thing, I have to explain this to students, like when I was studying film for decades, there were t- only terrible versions of these <laughs> films around. They were on 16 millimeter prints. They oh, ran sure. at the wrong speed. They had no music track. Right. And and these terrible, low contrasty, mostly black outlines. And you'd show like a, the Metropolis and go, look, kids. <laughs> It's great art, don't you think? And they would be like, no. <laughs> and then they were right. Uh, but that's not what it looked like in the 20s. And right. you see good versions of them like they actually looked. You go, they, you know, they'll respond to these films. So what do you think? Two questions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the current value of film studies is? And wh- where do you see this all going? Oh, boy. I think the current value of film studies in general is that if we're doing what we should be doing is that partly we're involved in media education and critical thinking. Absolutely. So that when you're looking at images and shots and uh, structures of rhetoric uh, and how it's being presented to you, you get more and more hopefully aware of how, now all communication is like this right that is based on this um and uh, i i think as much as anything else i mean i think i see what i do is being passing on a tradition and i'm really interested and that's what one does in the in the university you pass on a, uh, a traditions and uh, things of the past that are worth preserving but you also make new things and so i think trying to get more and more aware of how these various new 
plethora of media forms of all kinds are, many of which are increasingly interactive, uh, how they are changing society because it is happening. And, and, but again, I come back to, I think, partly what we're doing is media education and crit- making people more aware of critical analysis. Do you have any upcoming projects you're working on as far as uh, books? or? Yes. Okay. I'm working on uh, the sequel to the book on the 60s, which is the 70s. Oh, nice. That originally I was going to do a kind of overview of both decades that would really focus more on the new Hollywood. And, and the more I got into it, I realized I'm writing something that's superficial and familiar, and I don't want to do that. So I convinced the editors and it wasn't difficult to let me do two books and one is on the 60s and then one is on the 70s nice. so that's what I'm working on now and the, and I've written already a lot of notes and partial chapters of things from the 70s and I'm I probably had more actual I probably have much more actual notes now going into this book than I had when I did the one in the 60s so can you give us like a sneak peek like of, of, of anything that you're kind of discovering the, in sort of interesting cycles or um I, I, it's funny because I think so far no because I think it really is a survey and there's such a an embarrassment of riches in that decade right. and everybody it seems like has looked at the famous things you know the godfather and jaws and and uh, uh, so many movies and other people have have mined out those cycles like the uh, like black exploitation and the vigilantes and conspiracy films and and really kind of limit limiting it to something that's doable um i'm i'm really pretty interested in these kind of populist um, truck driver movies that were made. Smoking the Bandit's the most famous and successful right. of those, but uh, which still holds up well when I show that to students. Um, but there were, but there were others that that were really the same kind of idea. I just watched Citizens Band the other day. Oh yes, that's that? one yeah, of those. I, I watched yeah. it two nights ago. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it's fantastic. Charles Napier is great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Rick Warland for being here today. This was fantastic. We need to do this again off mic. We do. Yeah, thank you, Scott. And thank you for agreeing to uh, sit down here and talk with me. I would do anything you ask of me. Oh, well. Well, we'll discuss that later. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thank you.